Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching a special message, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Let me read you something before we get going. Uh, Let me have your attention, if you will. An atheist was taking a walk through the woods, admiring all that the accident of evolution had created. What What majestic trees, what powerful rivers, what animals, he said to himself. As he was walking alongside the river, he heard a rustling in the bushes behind him. Well, he turned to look and he saw a seven foot grizzly charging toward him. He ran as fast as he could up the path. He looked over his shoulder, and he saw that bear was closing in on him. He ran even faster, so scared. The tears were coming down his eyes, out of his, down his face. He looked over his shoulder, and again, the bear was even closer. His heart was pumping frantically. He tried to run even faster. He tripped, and he fell on the ground. He rolled over to pick himself up, but he saw the bear right on top of him and reaching for him with his left paw and raising his right paw to strike him. At that instant, the atheist cried out, Oh my God, help me. Time stopped. The bear froze. The forest was silent. Even the river stopped moving. As a bright light shone upon the man, a voice came out of the sky. You deny my existence for all these years. You teach others I don't exist and even credit creation to a cosmic accident. Do you expect me to help you out of this predicament? Am I to count you as a believer? Well, the atheist looked directly into the light. It would be hypocritical of me to suddenly ask you to treat me as a Christian now, but perhaps you might make the bear a Christian. (laughs) Well, very well, said the voice. The light went out. The river ran again. The sounds of the forest resumed. And then the bear dropped his right paw and brought both paws together and bowed his head and said, Lord, for this food for which I'm about to receive, I am thankful. (laughs) Copies available after service. So I told you, I I love that one. That's one of my favorites. I told you, um, but just by show of hands, who was with me in the beginning of the introduction of Genesis? Show of hands, okay? That's a good number of you. Then you know I told you that Moses is the writer of Genesis. And I want you to think about this. Think about Moses wrote thousands of years before scientific investigation and discovery. Moses wrote before there was a space shuttle. Moses wrote before the Hubble telescope. Moses wrote before science knew anything about science. And even still, Moses writes as though he had read the science books. Now, how is it that a mortal man made out of clay could write thousands 
of years earlier with no telescopes and no microscopes and no Hubble crafts or any other instruments, thousands of years before science, and be perfectly accurate in keeping with science. Honestly, I think there's only one answer to that. Second Peter, write this down. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The same finger that wrote on the wall of the king of Babylon, the same finger that wrote the, uh, the law of God, the same finger that brought the miracles and the healing and forgiveness, the same, miracle, the same finger that brought the plagues on Egypt is the same finger that guided the pen that wrote down these holy words from God in Genesis to Moses in the beginning God. Now listen, saints, every single person in this room falls into one of three categories as it relates to creation. You are either a creationist and believe the biblical account of the six-day creation. This is also called young earth position based on closed genealogies found in Genesis chapter 5. There's 4,000 years in Genesis 5. You look it up in your own time. But there's 4,000 years of dates of the patriarchs. And then from the arrival of Jesus till today, we have approximately 2,000 years. Evangelical Christians believe the earth is approximately 6,000 years old. Dr. Henry Morris, a creation scientist, said, all true facts of nature support biblical creation. Now, if you don't believe that, then perhaps you are a theist evolutionist. A theist evolutionist? A theist evolutionist means you believe that God is real Yet he used evolution to evolve all things into the world, including mankind. If you don't believe that, then you're probably a naturalist evolutionist. A naturalist evolutionist, which most non-believers are, believe that everything evolved by accident and that there is a design, but no designer. That there is a creation, but no creator. I gave you the mathematics of the naturalist evolutionist. Nothing, here's the mathematics, nothing times nothing equals everything. Did you hear that? The mathematics of creation, which I think is the only rational explanation for the universe, is in the beginning God, time spoken word equals creation. Can I get a witness? <laughs> equals creation. Last week, if you were with me in verse 1, I want you to look at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was tohu vabohu. Who, you say? Tohu vabohu means uh, without form and void. In verse 3, and fiat lux. That's Latin. For God said... Let there be light. In Hebrew, light be, light was. God called the light day, and he called the darkness what, saints? Night. So evening and morning were the first yam, day. We talked about this word day. It's a 24-hour period of time, a day. When God saw there was light, he sat back and he said it was good. Now listen, the age-old question when was the beginning? 
Evangelical Christians will tell you again that the beginning was 6,000 years ago. Others will tell you that the beginning was two, five, even 20 billion years ago. And the reason they know that is they say because of carbon 12, 14 dating. Listen, carbon 12, 14 dating. What is carbon 12, 14 dating? Well, simply carbon 14 dating is used to measure the amount of carbon 14 in a dead piece of former living material. It was discovered by Dr. William Libby in 1949. He was awarded the Nobel Prize in chemistry for his discovery. Dr. Libby discovered every 5,730 years, half of carbon-14 goes to nitrogen. Someone once said that carbon dating is great when it works, like a parachute, but when it doesn't work, it's a bummer. True. Carbon dating, listen... I'm not going to bore you with, you may Google this and do all the homework on carbon dating that you like. I will tell you this simply. Carbon dating is based on a lot of assumptions. And one main assumption that is wrong is that the scientists start their conclusion concluding that the earth is billions of years old. They start there. Carbon dating assumes that the flood of Noah didn't happen. The Bible says the flood of Noah did happen over the whole earth. And when the flood happened, the water affected everything on the earth. And that much water, scientists will tell you, I had a doctor last service sit right in this chair right in front of me. After service, he told me exactly. He said, he he, explaining, talking about carbon-14 dating, that much water covering the entire earth would alter the radioactive carbon-14 content of everything on the earth. Therefore, many, many, many scientists believe and agree that carbon dating is completely useless. Dr. Robert Gentry from Oak Ridge Labs is a geologist, and he said, the earth can only be several thousand years old because of the hollow rings they've discovered inside granite. If it were longer periods of time, They wouldn't be there. They would have fossilized and frozen, which means it was forming fast while coming into existence. Dr. Melvin Cook, a physical chemist and Nobel Prize nominee, said the amount of helium in the atmosphere doesn't break down and escape. So the amount of helium in the atmosphere is measurable and can tell us how long the atmosphere has existed. Measuring the helium, he said, the earth is a maximum of 15,000 years old. There's a gentleman by the name of Dr. Harold Slusher. That's a hard name to say. Slusher. Slusher. And he is a geophysicist and an astrophysicist who studies the breakup of comets. And he said they, comets, break up and get swept out of the universe by magnetic forces of bigger planets. He said the universe can't be more than 10,000 years old. Dr. Harold is also a part of, or was also a part of the team, that studied the moon dust. And they were worried at one point about our astronauts stepping out of the lunar landing module thingy, when you don't know the name of something, you call it a thingy, okay? The lunar landing module thingy. 
And they were worried about the, 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 the astronauts stepping out into the moon dust because they thought that the universe might be four billion years old. And so they thought that uh, there would be at least 400 feet of moon dust. And they made all the precautions and preparations to be sure that the engine didn't clog up from the dust. Well, if you take the time, and you can do this tonight in your homework or whatever, if you take the time and look at the, the, the moon module landing thingy, landing on the moon and the, the astronaut getting out, you'll notice that he's stepping down off the ladder onto the moon, and you'll notice that he's hanging onto the ladder because he's thinking that he's going to go down into hundreds of feet of dust. And when he touches down, his legs get jammed because there's approximately two and a half to three inches of dust on the moon. And by their own calculations, the moon can't be older than six to seven thousand years old. Perhaps I can get a witness in here. The Bible is reliable and true. Am I right about it? The Bible's reliable and true. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth approximately 6,000 years ago. You either believe that or you don't. I told you in the introduction, I told you last week, and I'll tell you now. If you can get past of Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The rest of the entire Bible is a piece of cake. I don't understand why only four people said amen. I'm going to say it again. Y'all must have been asleep. If you can get past Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the rest of the Bible is a piece of cake. Amen. Amen. Because if God can create anything, if God can create something out of nothing, bara, B-A-R-A, write it down, bara, to meaning to create something out of nothing, when the earth was tohu vabohu, void and without form, if God can create something out of nothing, then God can do anything. You should have no problem with a man living in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. You should have no problem with Jesus raising from the dead after being dead for three days. If, in fact, God can do anything. Somebody clap your hands and say, that's right, Pastor. Then God began to speak day one. We talked about it last week. God spoke light into existence. God called the light what, saints? Oh, I need y'all to help me. God called the light what? And God called the darkness what? Night and the evening and the, and the morning were the first what? Day. Well, this morning, this afternoon, we come to day two. And I've titled this sermon, The Origin of Air. The Origin of Air. Genesis chapter 1 says, oh, let's read verse 1 just because I like it. And we'll actually be looking at verse 6 and 7 and 8. But I like to read just from verse 1. As a matter of fact, come on, let's read it together. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, we're going to read it together in verse 1. Come on, read it with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light. And the darkness he called 
So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament so the evening and the morning were the second day. Saints, stop right there. Put your bodies in your chairs. And, <laughs> and God said, and God said, and God said, is the most repeated words in the Bible. And God said, let there be firmament. The word firmament, are you taking notes? Write this down, is the word, the Hebrew word, rakia. Uh, phonetically, it sound, it's spelled like this, R-A-K-E-E-A-H, R-A-K-E-E-A-H. In Hebrew, rakia is spelled R-A-Q-I-Y-A, firmament. It means expanse or to overlay, or to stretch something out. This word firmament, if you're familiar with your Bibles, you know that this word firmament is quite used in the Bible. Psalm 150, verse 1 and 2, praise the Lord, praise God in the sanctuary, praise him in his mighty, anybody know the next word? Firmament, praise him for his mighty acts, praise him according to his excellent greatness. Psalm 19 the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Write this down, Job twenty-two fourteen, Isaiah 40, 22, talk about God sitting above the circle of the earth. The circle of the earth is the firmament, which encircles the earth. Genesis 1, 7, God created the firmament on the second day of creation, now listen, there's a lot of debate about this word firmament, and especially among the Hebrew people. Um, the Hebrew people um, teach or believe that this word firmament means a like a metallic dome arch, a metallic dome arch or a solid support around the earth. And in that metallic dome arch, this is what they believe in that metallic dome arch is the sun, the moon, the stars. They're set in that metallic arch. And above that arch is the sky, and that's where there's rain. This word, rakia, firmament, is used in the Old Testament 17 times. And guess what? Nine of those 17 times is used right here in Genesis chapter 1. And every time the word is used, it refers to something ethereal. It refers to something vast, something limitless, something spread out. So it couldn't mean something solid and metallic that holds the rain. Verse 6 tells us, God said, let there be a vast, limitless spreading out. Look at verse 6. In the midst of the waters to divide the waters above and the waters below. Water placed high above the firmament like a vapor blanket surrounding the earth, which would provide a greenhouse effect. 
There would be a worldwide perfect temperature. No barren deserts, no polarized caps, no rain as we know it today. The surface of the earth would be like tropical-like vegetation, but there would be, wouldn't be rain because of the evaporation and the condensation. This blanket would keep mass air movements from moving. It would filter out ultraviolet radiation. It's those rays, listen, it's those rays or that radiation that um, shortens people's lives. Many believe that this is what explains why people are dying sooner of skin cancer related sicknesses because that blanket is getting thinner. So what is firmament? Firmament, listen, I wrote this in my notes. Firmament is one of the greatest things that God ever made. Did y'all hear me? Firmament is one of the greatest things that God ever made. Firmament, if you're taking notes, write this down, is the air. The air. Wasn't that anticlimactic? The air. The atmosphere. The word atmosphere comes from two words, vapor, sphere. Vapor, sphere. The atmosphere is the vaporous sphere of air that surrounds the earth. So God made the atmosphere. Day two, God made air. Now listen, we learned this in eighth grade. Let me have your attention. We learned this in eighth grade science class. It's probably um, fourth year college level work now. But in eighth grade, when I was going to school, this was eighth grade science stuff. We learned that the air in the atmosphere is 78%, anybody know? Nitrogen. Y'all really didn't learn this, did (laughs) y'all? The air in the atmosphere is 78% nitrogen and 21% oxygen. Nitrogen, listen, is just a little lighter than oxygen. If oxygen were lighter and nitrogen were heavier, this sanctuary would become a death trap. Don't you see how specific God is? If, if, if nitrogen was just a little lighter, just a little lighter than oxygen, the sanctuary would become a death trap. The world would become a death trap. When you inhale, you take in oxygen and you take in nitrogen and you take in other little gases, small gases, and you exhale a bit of nitrogen and it goes up into the air. That's why, listen, remember the cold days we just had, how cold it was? And we went outside. When you go outside and you blow and the breath comes out and you notice your breath goes up. When you blow, you blow out. But the breath actually just tends to go up. Well, what is going up is because it's the nitrogen that is a little heavier than the oxygen. That's why your breath goes up. So the firmament is the atmosphere or the air. That is made up of nitrogen and oxygen and, again, a few other small little gases. Did you know that the earth is the only place that you will find air? Did you know that if you travel more than five miles from the earth, you will need to take a can of air with you? Did you know that? The atmosphere on the earth is not found anywhere else in the entire universe or the solar system. There are many things that we take for granted that God provides that we don't even give them thanks for. 
Say amen. Because you know that's right. We thank him for the food. We thank him for the food. And then we thank him for the food. And we thank him for the rain and we thank him for our house and we thank him for our marriage and our husbands and our wives and our children. And we thank him for this, that and the third. But how many times do we ever wake up in the morning and say, Lord, thank you for air? Because the Bible says in him we live and move and have our being. It's because of air that you are able to wake up in the morning and give him thanks for anything. You need to be clapping your hands. Give him thanks for air. Think about it. Without air, you can't breathe. Air allows you to exist. Things that make you go, You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.